Hello everyone, my name is Stephen Platt, and I'm the host of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast. For more information about this and other shows, please visit www.thoughtjarproductions.com. We can also be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Thought Jar Productions, or at Thought Jar Prods. If you would like to receive the latest episodes of the Cinema Catch-Up Club, please subscribe to this podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud. And now, here is this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. That's right, we've started, we're going proper, week to week, reviewing films, and this week we're reviewing Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Joining me to review this film, this uh, gargantuan epic from the 1960s, is someone who has seen the film, and someone who has not. So, sitting in the the has-seen-the-film chair is Mr. John King. John, welcome. Uh, Thank you, Stephen. So, uh, John, just uh, tell the people at home a little bit about yourself. Uh, My name is John King, and I'm a senior technician, theatre technician at Murdoch University, um, and I'm a general uh, dog's body around the theatre community, doing uh, generally a jack of all trades and a master of none. Excellent. And joining us as uh, our person who hasn't seen the film before is Anna Weir. Anna, welcome. Thank you for having me. No worries. Uh, just tell the people at home a little bit about yourself. Um, I am a very newly minted costume student and... In my spare time, I watch movies, but apparently not this one. Mm. So, uh, as we prepare to dive into uh, what is a, a pretty um, a, a pretty well-revered film, but also a film that uh, I, I suppose it's fair to say is um, is not universally popular. There's certainly a lot of divided opinion about it. I suppose we should start with uh, you, Anna, as uh, the person who hasn't seen the film. Uh, what have you heard about 2001 and what do you, I suppose, expect about the upcoming film? I have heard literally nothing about this film. I don't know a thing about it. I do know that I bought it maybe about four years ago thinking it was something else, realised what it was and went, ah, no, I think I just won't watch that. And no, I know nothing. I know a tiny bit about Stanley Kubrick. I've seen The Shining a lot, but Mm. I've never seen this film so I'm coming in with no preconceived notions apart from the fact that it's super long. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is uh, a little over two and a half hours, so it's uh, slightly long. And uh, John, as someone who's already experienced this film, uh, what what do you remember of this uh, this cinematic masterpiece, as it's called? Indeed. Um, I don't remember when I watched it, but I do believe that I was watching it on television, not the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um I do remember uh, enjoying it. I loved the the science fiction aspect to it uh, in the fact that um, it created uh, a really beautiful visual world uh, in regards to the spaceship that we'll see in the movie uh, that seemed to be very well thought out uh, in regards to the scientific principles behind everything. Uh, I, I don't. I'm not sure, uh, but it may have been the first one that explored uh, an AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we get introduced to in the film. Um, I do remember a monolith mm-hmm. that I never made any sense of, and I may make more sense of it this time, mm. uh, and some very bad uh, 
primate uh, costumes. Yes, well, I mean, this is around the time of um, the original Planet of the Apes mm. as well, and they'd sort of shown what you can do with it. Admittedly, not like trying to replicate a, a perfect simian, but but certainly showing uh, some reasonably good um, prosthetics for the day. Yeah, um, and yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't seen the film either, um, but having um, done film studies, I've seen sections of the film because yes. they're not going to make you watch that in a class. <laughs> uh, not the whole thing anyway. And yeah, I th- I'm uh, very much looking forward to seeing it in its entirety. Uh, just a couple of uh, bits of information before we jump into it. Um, it's the only film for which Stanley Kubrick received an Academy Award or the only film uh, of Stanley Kubrick's that received an Academy Award. It wasn't specifically for him. It was for uh, special effects uh, from memory. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it, it's one of those films that when it first came out, uh, people weren't really sure what to make of it. They were looking at it and going, um, I, I don't get it. And, you know, it, it, given the time period in which it was released and what he and Arthur C. Clarke were trying to communicate when they put together the screenplay, um, I think that makes sense. So I'm very much looking forward to diving into it. So... Shall we? Let's do it. Absolutely. All right. We'll be back in just a moment. Well, just a moment for you. uh, Almost three hours in our case. uh, As we prepare to watch 2001, A Space Odyssey. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to uh, the Cinema Catch-Up Club's review of 2001 A Space Odyssey. I'm joined again by Mr. John King. Hello again. And Miss Anna Weir. Still here. Okay, so uh, the film has just finished. We have stopped it. I'm presuming there's no post-credit scene because we stopped it as soon as it finished. Um, Initial thoughts, guys. What do we think of 2001 A Space Odyssey? I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was intensely frustrating at some parts but i really enjoyed it actually a lot more than i thought i was going to okay john uh yeah there was um there's a lot of things that i don't remember seeing initially but uh probably about half and half things that i remember seeing when i first saw it and uh some new things that i don't remember being the first time i watched but Mm. um yeah no it's a it's a great film yeah yeah and i'm surprised that you said that you enjoyed it considering you spent most of the film either questioning what was going on which was fair because i was having much the same uh thought uh but 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 also um just generally criticizing hal i feel like you've ratted me out Stephen. um well you you did spend a lot of time like you flipped off hal at one point i did i did i i don't i think i just have an inherent distrust of any ai in a film and i'm thinking maybe that has stemmed from this Hal being evil mm. and that sort of trickling down throughout media. Mm. I don't know. He just, even though he wasn't really there, the second he started talking, it was like, this is this is wrong. This is wrong. And he's shifty and I don't like it. <laughs> shifty. Well, yeah, oh, he was shifty though. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think that's possibly a good starting point as well, is is looking at Hal, because Hal is one of the, the really iconic, arguably the iconic mm. character from 2001 A Space uh, Odyssey. Um is Hal evil, though? That's the question. Like, I think it's very, it's very simple to say, yes, he is, because he kills four people. Uh, but at the same time, looking at it, it, that was the thing that really struck me watching it, was that Hal is perfect, like, designed to be perfect. Um, mm. And when speaking of error, can only foresee 
human error complicating the mission and so makes a logical conclusion that if you get rid of the humans then you get rid of the possibility for errors the mission will be perfect so in that case is hal necessarily evil no i wouldn't say evil evil is a very i think human construct if anything i'd say pragmatic Mm. like very coldly pragmatic Mm. but yeah no it brings into play the sort of whole concept of humanity creating ais that can think and function for themselves Mm. who then go actually no humanity we're done with that we don't need that anymore Mm. we should move on to the next stage of sort of consciousness and then you know humanity going oh wait no that's not really what we were after we might have to kill you which was actually quite a depressing scene. I wasn't, I got mm. sad. I didn't think I was going to, but I really did. Yeah, I mean, John, uh, looking at it, looking at um, obviously uh, Dave accessing the memory banks and just slowly essentially picking bits of uh, of Hal's brain, the little data banks out. I mean, what were your sort of reflections on, on that scene in particular? Yeah, the same as sort of what you were saying is um, as, as it was happening, as you said, you know, as he's turning off bits of his memory, it's, it's like someone is just slowly pulling apart your brain and uh, how is fully conscious of what's going on and little bits and pieces are disappearing one after the other. It's quite a, it's quite a moving scene uh, and quite thought-provoking. Um, and in regards to Hal as well, I thought, has Hal malfunctioned at all or is, did Hal know something that... Um, that I didn't understand that was going on. Uh, was it better for Hal to have completed the mission and then met up with the monolith at the end and gone through that whole experience that uh, poor old Dave went through? Mm. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't. Uh, for me, it was never explained why or if Hal had malfunctioned at all, or was it was it was something else in there? Mm. Well, uh, Hal, Hal was aware of the. Um the purpose of going to Jupiter that it was to do with uh, intelligent life beyond the Earth because the little video that starts playing um, when yes. uh, just after he's been deactivated uh, sort of indicates that Hal had been informed of this um, and that it was basically, yeah, it was a case of um, informing the crew once they got close yeah. To, yeah. To, to doing it. Yeah, it's yeah. There's, there's just so many things with this film, just, just looking at it and going... Wow, yeah, but pulling it apart. The the other thing that really struck me um, was just how many films since 1968 that it is very directly uh, oh, influenced. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, yeah, and like, the, and, and and not just that, but also pop culture. Like the very beginning with the and uh, yeah, Anna commented, uh, "Oh, is that where that's from?" <laughs> You're really not making me look good here. No, no, but yeah, but that's just it. There's lots of things yeah. that, that like that come. From I mean, that. I knew what it was called. I've played it in orchestra before, mm. and you know, you see on the score like also Sprach Sarasthura and underneath 2001: A Space Odyssey, mm. and like I had those words connected in my head, but I never really knew what. 2001 a space odyssey mm. was yeah well, I, I had a similar thing with when they're about half an hour into the film and he's on the pan america jet flight to the to the uh, base near the moon and you've got the uh, pen that's just floating in the um the 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 waltz the what was it called uh, the, the blue danube waltz yeah the blue danube waltz you know the da 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 
da-da-da, which obviously has been done to death in lots of things like The Simpsons. I didn't realise that was from this it's as well. It's not. It's a lot older. No, I know. I know <laughs> I, I'm aware that the waltz is older, but in terms of like its use in uh, space, in, in, yes, in terms yeah. of like space film, uh, yeah, I wasn't uh, aware that it had come from this because I had not seen it. But yeah, it was really good. Um, I, I've just written down the word um, tapers in my notes as well at the beginning. Oh, that, the animal. Yeah. Yeah, just the that 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 opening uh, sequence because the opening twenty four minutes of this film has no dialogue. Uh, Is it that long? Really? Yeah, wow. mm. yeah. It's it's pretty pretty incredible. But that that whole opening sequence with uh, uh, essentially the evolution of humanity and the presence of the monolith, uh, sort of directly influencing that. Um, that's that's a pretty pretty incredible concept and scene. I thought. Yeah, um, like I was, uh, as I said before, why have they? Why was the the choice, a creative choice, to use tapir, and possibly because um, they look such a foreign, such an alien sort of creature? Mm. So it was that was probably the the choice there. Um, but yeah, the the touching of the monolith and the interaction with the monolith that then uh, changes uh, the the primate species. Uh, to evolve a little bit, to start thinking about using weapons uh, and tools uh, and then uh, eating meat. Um, uh, the understanding that I have is that once um, prehistoric man starting eating eating meat and that extra protein uh, increased the development of the brain, mm. uh, I'm assuming that was what they were alluding to in that sequence. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely the case. And... Um yeah, I, I I personally just really enjoyed the, uh, the 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 wordless storytelling. Like it was mm. a very clear early on they established okay there is a food chain because we see them the the apes and the tapirs like foraging in the same area and then a leopard comes along and just starts mauling one of the apes and it's like okay then, oh I forgot about the leopard yeah and that's just it yeah it, the, <laughs> it was the, so long ago Stephen I know it was. Four million years ago, yeah. I think. Oh, ha ha! But the um, yeah, the 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 leopard is established as maybe not, well as as top of the food chain from what we see, but it's very much established that what is to become the human race is not on top of the food chain until the monolith turns up and gives them the idea of you know oh this this bone we can use this as a tool. Um, did anyone else have the feeling though? Because it, it is a pretty quick jump from four million years to the present day. And well, the near future where they're they're in space. Um, did anyone feel like a really weird juxtaposition watching the humans in the in the near future and just thinking, but you were you were you were apes like two minutes ago? Uh, it was a weird feeling I had of just watching them and kind of feeling a very yeah, feeling like all this had been almost like it was it, it was unnatural despite its elegance. I guess. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. It was a a, co- a complete jump, and I um, I suppose I didn't understand uh, why such a big jump, and just that one jump from that period to the present day or even future. Um, just real big contrast in that jump, and what was the purpose of that? I didn't really understand that. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't feel like it was a huge jump. Maybe because we all sort of know how evolution works. Mm, mm. And it's like they're trusting that the audience will be able to go, oh, okay, yes, it is a long time between, you know, points in the film. But, and also maybe it's like a, 
look how far we've come with the assistance of the monolith. Mm. We took that information that was imparted by whatever the monolith represents, be it sort of, you know, alien culture or God or evolution. And we really, really ran with it. And then we flew with it after that. Mm. So I didn't feel like it was too weird, but I can, I can totally see. Yeah. Like, I mean, there was some really, obviously some really great, um, technological things it was really nice seeing that sort of that you know world of tomorrow today kind of thing that they were doing (laughs) with um the way they were utilizing the kind of extrapolate or extrapolating existing technologies so for example the idea of the payphone becoming the uh video phone and so you know we we have that now we have you know the equivalent of, of facetime or skype or things like that but i really like that at the end it told you how much the call was worth which is very much like a thing of the time with telephone communications yeah. and, and we all watched them at a dollar 70 that's pretty good for, yeah. that's right <laughs> and the reception was fantastic yeah yeah was really there was good. no delay no delay it was yeah um, yeah it was, it was really great and, I, and obviously you know the, the various shots of uh playing around with the perspective of um because they're in a zero gravity environment and the stewardess is having the grip shoes so that they can just walk on any sort of surface and maneuver around the place. I just thought was really stunning. Yeah. Like really, really holds up considering that film is 49 years old. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've seen magnetic shoes before. I've never seen grip shoes. That Mm. was excellent. I did keep thinking because he's known for being such a pedantic filmmaker, how much it must have sucked for those actresses who... Mm didn't know how to move in like a no gravity situation probably having to do those shots Mm. over and over and over again until he was like yep that's definitely how it would happen up in space yeah Yeah. the 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 physicality was something was one of the notes i wrote down the um the the exceptional physical acting that was done by pretty much everyone in that film but particularly like the the people in the ape suits who you know you're looking at it and you're going okay they're not great by like a you know half a century on you know as you commented the uh, anna the eyes don't look quite right underneath the mask and some of the prosthetics aren't particularly great but they move pretty well they moved pretty pretty uh well as simians and then uh yeah that the way the stewardesses were moving in that zero gravity environment where they 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 look like they're constantly correcting themselves because it's 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 such a weird environment to be in and such an unnatural environment, I, th- I thought it was absolutely wonderful. And yeah, you could see they've done their research there and, and obviously got in movement coaches and everything to really work on the movements, whether it was in space or even the simian movements as well. Mm. Even that shot with, oh, what was his name? Haywood? The, oh, yeah. Where uh, he's, he's sleeping in mm. the um, craft at the beginning and his pen's floating. And when she tucks the pen back into his pocket, you can see both his hands are sort of drifting, Mm, which is so cool because it's something that it's such a small movement, but you look at it and you're like, oh, that just, it makes it perfect. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was just exceptional. And it was, again, it was that thing of of looking at where we are at almost 50 years on with our technology and seeing what's happened uh, when we get a little bit further in and we're on the mission heading towards Jupiter and you've got the two... um, crew members who are awake and watching stuff on their not ipads yes um and, and yeah as, as you said john you know they're um that you know they're uh typical millennials just sitting there eating food not talking to each other watching their watching yeah. their ipads watching their news feed yeah. literally watching exactly the same news feed on mm. two separate ipads yeah. they're yeah. not even sharing but but 
but again, it's one of those things you look at that and you're like, oh, they, they predicted that. That's kind yeah. of that's kind of great. Um, yeah, the, the fact that it shows one of the crew members playing chess with Hal when this is like nine years before Pong was developed, yeah. essentially. You know, like that that idea of uh, computer games, uh, essentially. Like they were certainly being developed at the time, but in a very sort yeah. of experimental way. The way it was demonstrated, I think, was pretty remarkable yeah and we still play chess against computers we do that's still a very common thing to happen Mm. i mean like i can't play chess so not with me but (laughs) so i I suppose we should ask then um starting with you anna obviously this is your first time seeing the film yes uh what what stood out for you about this film what what were some of your favorite bits some of your uh the bits that most interested you Uh, oh hal definitely hal Mm. and what i thought was really interesting was the bit at the end where um, Dave is disconnecting his sort of memory bits, chips, I don't know what you'd call them, but he kept saying, I am afraid. And it's like, you, well, you can't be. Mm. You cannot be afraid. That's not in your sort of capabilities. And the way I sort of chose to interpret it was like he was trying to say, I am afraid that you are making the wrong decision. Okay. But he kept getting sort of cut off and repeating the I am afraid. I was like, you you can't be. It's just not within. Because if you were afraid, you would have had to be afraid right from the very beginning when mm. you sort of started making these sneaky decisions to, you know, kill crew members and mm. sabotage the mission. You would have had to be afraid that something bad would happen to you and you weren't. So how could you be afraid now at the last minute? Possibly because he'd failed for the first time. Because he had gotten Dave out of the ship. Everyone else was dead. There wasn't a way for Dave to get back in the way he saw it. That's true. That's and true. then Dave still got in and got into the memory bank. And then at that point, it might be a case of, yeah, Hal going, oh, I failed. And then suddenly feeling things like fear and anxiety for the first time. Which, which would I be... suppose would be a failure of his system if he could feel things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's it, it. I mean, it does raise a lot of questions. Yeah. This film, just in general, but particularly about uh, artificial intelligence, and I think it's questions that are continually being asked. And I think it's very clear the effect Hal has had. Like Hal, very much looks like it's influenced the uh, things like Skynet and the Terminator and the Terminator films. Uh, you know, and as we were saying, um, as we were watching it. Um, there's not that many great AIs knocking around in film. And I think it's because we're constantly asking that question of what happens when... They become sentient. Yeah, and, yeah. and we, we build this sort of all-powerful, all-seeing, almost like Orwellian big brother figure. Who can read lips, which they should have predicted, and I'm still <laughs> so mad about that. Just mm. turn around. Yeah. Even put your backs to him. Come on. Yeah, that, that was pretty sneaky, though. I, I did enjoy that. Um, and, John, yourself, going back and watching this this again, any, any sort of like highlights or standout bits for you? Yeah, the things that uh, jump out at me, um, obviously set. Uh, the sets were extraordinary. Um, just how clean the sets were and how beautiful. And, and of course, you've got that real uh, 60s design element there in regards to the set and also costume as well. Uh, another thing I loved as well was just the silence, the calmness of the entire show, the entire film, um, but filled with such emotion and intrigue and tension, but just so silent. And 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 being uh, realistic in that interpretation as well as 
it is pretty quiet in space. I really enjoyed this film a lot more than I thought I would. And it was really interesting seeing, again, those things that it influenced. I think the influence on Star Wars is very obvious. Oh, yes. definitely. Like the, the model work the for model work spacecraft, yep. the interiors, like you yes. said. Um, even the fact that at one point someone says the line, I've got a bad feeling about this. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that and I didn't want to say anything in case you guys were like, well, obviously that's where that comes from. But... No, I, I don't know if that's where it came from. I know... Um, to fill in the uninitiated who are listening, I'm doing a PhD in science fiction at the moment, and one of the um, interviews with George Lucas uh, that I've had to do for, or have had to do for research, uh, was from the year uh, Star Wars came out, the original one. That did make uh, it sound like you did the interview with George Lucas. No, no, I, sorry, sorry, I didn't. I, I, was, uh, I was not quite alive then. Uh, there was an interview with George Lucas, which I have subsequently read, and uh, in it, they they ask George Lucas about um, this you know this this pretty uh, epic space opera he's building, and George basically says, um, "I don't think I can make a better science fiction film than uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey because Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick have combined and made what he considered um, the ultimate science fiction film, which is why he turned more towards creating a." A fantasy film set in space, right. which is kind of an interesting thing. But you can clearly see that he's he's looked at that and gone right. That escape pod thing that that's heading towards the moon looks almost exactly like the escape pod that um, C three P on R two D two escape in. It's it's just really interesting seeing 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 that, and it was it was I just really enjoyed it, and I yeah. I enjoy the fact there are so many uh, questions that it's left as well, like when. Um, you know there's the however long it was the 10 minute sort of acid trip sequence yes um, yeah what, what was happening then was that time travel was that interdimensional travel was it travel at all um and it, it was a very long sequence that was somewhat uncomfortable as well with the odd like still image jump cut to dave not having a great time experiencing the um the travel it mm. was yeah it was it's just a really interesting film. No, I sometimes like that in a film. You know, I don't always like um, everything to be finished and very clear and explained to you. Sometimes I like that the ending that you can interpret yourself. It, it, it people can interpret that ending in a lot of different ways, and I, I, sometimes I really appreciate and enjoy that. And I, especially when it's done well, and it was done well in this one. Although that, as you said, the acid trip sequence probably could have been cut down a little bit that yeah. just went on and on. Well, in, in terms of the um, in, some trivia for this, uh, because as as I will be doing every episode, I'm on the IMDb trivia page having a quick uh, sniff through and seeing what's about. According to Douglas Trumbull, the total footage shot was some 200 times the final oh. length of the film. Like Stanley Kubrick is pretty, pretty well known for uh, shooting way too much stuff and cutting it right down to the mm. absolute best shots really really distilling it in that sense um yeah there was a lot of footage uh that they shot and so perhaps it's not surprising that it's quite lengthy yeah. in some respects um yeah what didn't we like about this film because i you know it's it, it's it's a really interesting important film but i think there's a reason there's not many films like it i i think it's i think it is a bit inaccessible yeah i mean there, well, there wasn't a lot I didn't like about it. I mean, I'm the kind of person I like to watch a film and have all the answers. Like I'm usually when I watch a movie for the first time, 
by the time I'm halfway through, I'm reading the end of the plot on Wikipedia and I like to know who all the actors were and all the like the behind the scenes trivia. But I didn't come away from that feeling that annoyed that I didn't fully understand the ending. Mm. Like you, you watch a lot of films that think they're a lot cleverer than they are. But I mean, that one, there was no patronizing air. There was just like, this is the information we're going to give you. And, you know, make of that what you will. But there could have been more women. That would not have been hard. <laughs> I, how many? They were the stewardesses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were the stewardesses. There was a, couple, was there was a couple of scientists. There was a couple well. of the other meetings. <laughs> yeah. We're I, not helping, are we? No. no but no. like, what, 1968? Yeah. yeah. I and mean, I can understand why there were so little. Mm. But it's still... It's another thing they didn't predict that yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that women, women would... wouldn't still just be in the kitchen. Yes, yes. Mm. yeah, no, I, I mean there certainly was that, but uh, the uh, um, in terms of things I, I didn't particularly enjoy as much as I really enjoyed a lot of the cin- cinematography. There were some shots that really hurt my head, in, it just in terms of like playing with perspective, like when he's walking on the round. Oh yeah, that the, was and, oh, and not good. It's we we, we follow uh, from behind the uh, the character and we see. The, the sort of sloping wall ahead of him as it comes down under his feet and it's just like that's that's slightly painful yeah. on the perspective yeah. sense that that one wasn't fun yeah <laughs> most of it was excellent but that particular some of that may even been deliberate to give you that sort of mm. sense of the disorientation of uh, being in space and in zero gravity and or uh, simulated gravity mm. so some of it may very well have been deliberate to give you that sort of a bit of a nauseating feel well he seems like the kind of filmmaker who thinks very deeply about every shot that he mm. puts in the film mm. so i'm sure that like that vaguely queasy feeling you get from it was intentional yeah no, I'd, I'd certainly think so as well it was just kind of like oh yeah thanks dan that's uh just gonna go heave over here i'll be back yeah a little bit john was there anything from the film that now having just watched it that yep. made you that you didn't enjoy i guess oh, I, I could nitpick a lot of things as i generally do but um i don't know something about the opening sequence as well uh, the uh, decision to do it uh not in uh a lush jungle or anything like that, but just in a really barren... I must have filmed it in Death Valley or somewhere like that, this barren wasteland. and um, I'm not sure about that. It, it's sort of... That's probably the only real sequence, apart from the long uh, travel between timescapes or universes or whatever they did towards the end. But the opening scene, yeah, I, I think it, uh, it needed... I felt it could have been a bit more vibrant, a, a bit more... Um, full of life it was very barren it may have been deliberately done like that but yeah i mean certainly you're certainly right it's a very barren sequence there's literally just apes and tapirs and the old leopard and that's kind yeah. of about it and a lot of rocks and, and one, some cow skulls yeah and a very yeah. and a very dirty watering hole which yes. the two groups of yeah, apes fight over gross. but perhaps that was to show oh this is a desperate desolate thing and this is the yes. you know that survival yeah. of the fittest uh, evolutionary thing and then once the monolith gifts the simians the the ability to use the tools and yep. we see them use those tools very effectively yep. on one of the other apes i yep. thought that was thoroughly depressing mm. how almost instantaneously they discovered tools killed a tapir and now we're resorting to like ape on ape violence but it's but it's survival of the fittest it's, it's that thing of it's like you know that they, they, they they're exhibiting their power because if they didn't do that then they would lose the access to the watering hole 
and they need the watering hole to survive. I know, it was just depressing. Yeah. In maybe the same way that Hal saw the humans as been endangering the mission and killed them to try and get them away. Oh, the parallels. Oh. <laughs> I know. Such parallels. Um, the ending of the film. The uh, Dave gets really old, has a meal, uh, turns into... Uh, Commander Snoke in, in the weird sort of... Uh, gross space baby. Yeah, the gross space uterus. And then he's just waving at the earth at the end. What, what do we draw from that? Oh, I feel like I learned something, but I don't know what I learned. <laughs> I, I thought it was really interesting, but I... Like, I was of the opinion that he didn't travel anywhere physically. That it was all sort of like a mental leap mm. that he made. And then... I don't know why that's what his brain conjured up as a place to spend his eternity. Well, not eternity, he died. Hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to watch it again. And also hmm. I'd have to do some research and then watch it again. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we are literally, you know, we've, we've just stopped watching it. I think this is certainly one of those things that's maybe a, a, a long time tick over mm. in the head. Two, three days later, you might go oh, with something. So, yes. yeah. Uh, John, uh, your thoughts on that that final on scene? On the ending, yeah. Um, yeah, again, even though I've seen it before, but a long time ago, uh, definitely would have to, as Anna said, you know, do some research and have another look at it. But could it be that um, it's uh, one option? It could be like a time loop, so it's like the uh, like uh, the circle of life in regards to that, going old and young and then coming back to the earth and starting again or, or could it be um life going was it the earth was it possibly not another planet and yeah uh, i mean that wasn't specified was it reseeded onto another planet um yeah i mean i mean I'm arthur sure yeah. yeah arthur c Clarke in a lot of his writings did play around with the idea of um and I might have the term wrong, but I believe it's called transpermia, which is the idea of life starting on one planet and traveling through space and seeding a planet. You know, mm, the idea mm, of mm. that, you know, maybe life on the Earth started on Mars, for example, and yep. traveled, and now Mars is a dead planet, but yep. life has continued, that sort of thing. Um, the Alien series um, explores that as well with yeah. the engineers. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting. So uh, just a couple of uh, interesting little... Uh, tidbits and facts about um the the film we've just experienced um so in the intro we said it was the only oscar uh, that was won by uh, stanley kubrick or specifically a film kubrick worked on um it was his sole win from 13 nominations uh however while kubrick designed much of the look of the film and its effects many of the techniques involved oh, sorry, many of the technicians involved felt it was wrong for him to receive the, uh, the sole credit so following this controversy the uh, academy tightened its eligibility rules because they awarded it to kubrick not to the design team yeah that seems fair though yeah so it, you know the film did have an impact in that respect um mm. So he, he he sort of won an Oscar in a way, but I, he well he's won more than we have. That's true, but he's won more than Hitchcock. Hitchcock never won any Oscars. So you know there, oh, there is yeah. this um, you know this this list of people who are considered uh, important luminaries of the industry who never received these awards for whatever reason. And I think Kubrick sort of qualifies for that list because he he certainly never won any Best Director nods or anything yeah. like that. Um, he also calculated that it was going to take one person 13 years to hand-draw and paint all the uh, mats needed to insert the assorted spacecraft into the starry backgrounds. So he just hired 12 people to do it in one year. 
<laughs> he just hired enough people to like churn <laughs> out these amazing images, which is just a testament to Kubrick's insane work drive and desire to mm. get things well, done. It's better than one poor beleaguered person sitting in a studio yeah. for 13 years. Yeah, just going, oh, this will come out eventually. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mr. Kubrick, I'm sorry. Yes. I'll get there eventually. But yeah, so really interesting uh, thing. And um, where, where do you think it fits in sort of the overall scope of cinema? Is it is it one of the greatest films ever made? Is it indecipherable rubbish, as some people view it? Like, where does it fall for you, I guess? Well, I wouldn't say it was one of the greatest films ever made but i would say it's definitely one of the most influential Mm. even just from sort of a design perspective alone because a lot of those you know hallways and walkways that they were going down i just had this feeling of i've seen this before haven't i which i have but in something that came much much later Mm. so you know just for being that influential i would give it a very high i don't want to give it a ranking that seems mean um, I don't know if, well, if that trippy acid scene had been shorter. Um, I'd say for me personally, who hasn't watched that many sci-fi films, 8.5 out of 10. Okay, 8.5 out of 10. That's good. John, uh, what um, do you think? Yeah, I agree with Anna. It's, it was an extremely influential film and groundbreaking in regards, especially in regards to science fiction for its time and the sort of things it explored and the way it portrayed um, space travel and the technologies of the time and some of the things that they predicted that we've already discussed. Um, and, and simple things like the, the quietness of space and, mm. um, and the beautiful uh, 60s design element in the sets and costumes and things like that. Um, and the, the, uh, the intrigue and the tension that it managed to build with such limited dialogue and things like that were amazing. But um, I'll give it a, give it a seven. Seven. Okay, that's fair enough. And uh, yeah, for myself, um, I, I think it's, I think it is definitely a tremendously important film. I don't think it's the sort of film that you're gonna sit down for, you know, uh, a chuckle or just like an, a nice uh, time. It's definitely a, an introspective, uh, thinky film. Oh, um, yeah, it's not a family yeah. movie night kind yeah, of no, film. Yeah, no, you know, it's 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 not like a. Uh, you know, Jackie Chan and Wilson Shanghai Nights type deal. You know, it, <laughs> no, it's... I've never seen a Jackie Chan film. <gasps> Ooh, well, when we get on to them, we know who to call. I'll, uh, I'll be here. But in terms of a score for it, I mean, I, I just think it's, I, I really enjoyed it, mm. even the bits I didn't enjoy, which I know is kind of a weird thing to say, but it it is really interesting how, how Kubrick just builds tension in all of his films his use of imagery his use of um music the way the um the 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 grabby the grabby pod thing kills the astronaut with when hal takes control of it it happens really quickly but the way it's shot is kind of terrifying mm. it, it's it's really interesting and i think for all of those reasons i'm probably gonna give it Nine angry monkeys out of ten. Ooh, I think, check you uh, out. Yeah, I, th- I think. Angry I, monkeys. Yeah, I think that's probably where it, where it uh, sits. So uh, that that's it for our look at two thousand one: A Space Odyssey. Any final thoughts? I've just had like a whole bunch of other thoughts about the monolith, but I feel no, like no, that no, throw them like in, throw them in. Okay, well, <laughs> I mean, you can you can always edit this out. But I was just thinking because I'm not like a. I was thinking about how it can be seen as that end section with him just sort of in that horrible loop by himself it could almost be seen as like a the monolith gave us this knowledge and this power but when we dared question it and go too far we got punished for it Mm. so it could almost be seen as it's sort of 
like a cautionary tale almost. Mm. I mean, I don't know, you know. Kind of like a Promethean allegory, you know, yeah. taking fire from the gods, but there is a yeah. price to pay for that. So, I mean, as a person who's not religious at all, you can sort of see the religious mm. overtones in it because he was he was punished. And, you know, you go too far, you get what's coming to you. Mm. If you question too much and you don't just say, yes, thank you, monolith, we appreciate all that you have given to us, mm. you know, you go, yeah, but then what? what's next? What's out there? What can we find? Mm. You could have everything sort of taken away like he did. True, but it wasn't Dave's fault he was there. No, it was, it was, it was, was the entire the... of the, uh, you know, the human space community going, yeah. but what is it? How did it get here? How is it four million years old and 40 feet under the lunar dust? It's But someone had to be the scapegoat. Someone had to be the person who mm. went and... Mm. went further than everyone else. I don't know. That was just a thought. I might be completely off the mark. No, I think that's perfectly uh, fine and fair to say. John, anything to add? Um, now that I've, I've seen it twice, uh, I'd definitely be interested to go and uh, look more into it and see what other people have said about it. People much smarter than me. Um, yeah, but um, no, it was good to revisit it, most mm. definitely. Excellent. Well, uh, that's all that we have uh, time for here on the Cinema Catch-Up Club, so make sure that you join us next week when we do our next film. And uh, we'll just finish on a quote from Arthur C. Clarke, who helped uh, compile this thing. He said, uh, If you understand 2001 completely, then we've failed. We wanted to raise far more questions than we'd answered. I think it's fair to say to Arthur and to Stanley that they definitely succeeded in that respect. <laughs> yeah, we're all. super confused. <laughs> so thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for listening. We uh, hope to that you'll join us next week. And until then, bye-bye. You guys can say bye. Oh, well. okay. can we? Oh, bye. bye. <laughs>